2 Corinthians chapter 4. Last week we talked about Paul's teaching to the Thessalonians concerning the coming of the Lord. Paul told them that before Jesus comes, there would be a great rebellion, a great apostasy, a great falling away. These terms describe what the state that the church is going to be in right before the coming of the Lord. Okay, that this is going to precede the coming of the Lord. There's going to be this great apostasy, this great rebellion. Now, if you'd have told me a number of years ago that there would be things happening or people believing things in the church that they believe today, I would have never believed it. I'm talking about evangelical Christians. You see, because what's happened, if you look over history... As you look over time, throughout the history of the church, what we see is this. We see that nations have been brought down as a result of the rejection of God's word. The children of Israel, we see the destruction that came in their lives because they refused to believe and adhere to the word of God. I'm doing a graduate class right now, doing a bunch of reading on that in Part of that is preaching over the history. And what's happened is over this long period of time, what the state that the church has gotten into is they've departed from the word of God. And what we've done is we've decided to pick out the points that I like and what fits my lifestyle. And we throw out the rest. We've thrown it out. They've thrown it out. It's hard to believe, but it's happened in history again and again and again. There's been a departing from the word of God. Do you realize that when the word of God is declared, when the word of God is preached, it's literally God's word to the people. It's a message straight. When the pastor preaches the uncompromising word of God or an evangelist stands up and proclaims the uncompromising word of God, it's not his ideas. It's not his opinion. It is God-breathed. It's God. It's a message from Almighty God straight to his people. But there's been this departing from the word of God. Pastors have chosen to speak what people want to hear. They've chosen to tell people what makes them feel good. We've chosen to worry more about how much is in the tithe offering and how many people are coming through the doors than what people truly need to hear. They need to hear this truth and this truth will set them free. This truth will deliver them. Unfortunately, what we've done is we've preached some other form of gospel. We've done this stuff that makes people feel good and cheer them on and all of this stuff. And what we've done is we've cheered them on in their sin and their disobedience and their rebellion against God. One of the things that you'll find is throughout scripture, throughout history, before there was a revival, before God moved, every time, you can go back, I just encourage you to go back through history and look at it. Every time you will find that revival when the church is brought back to its proper state, it is always accompanied by a strong preaching of the gospel and a call to repentance. Not a call to say, I'm sorry, a call to true repentance and holiness. A departing from the old way and a starting the new way. What we've done today is what we said, raise your hand, bend over and touch your toe, sign the card. All of those things are great. They're fine. I don't really care what method you use to call people to repentance. But what we have is we have people saying, I'm sorry, and going back and doing the same thing that they were doing before. 
I'm so glad that the Jesus who I serve is different than that. Our churches may be doing that, and people may be doing that, and at times Lighthouse, we may do that. But I want you to know that we serve a God who's able to save and deliver and set people free. We serve a God who's able to save to the uttermost. Not partial salvation. Not partial. See, because this is what people want. They want me to, to pat them on the back, and we want, uh, we want to feel good, and then go back and do the very same things we were doing. The woman who was at the well. If you look at the woman at the well. Or you look at the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and they bring her before Jesus and they throw her down on the ground and they say, the law says stone or what do you say? Jesus begins to kneel down and he begins to write in the dirt and one by one, all of her accusers begin to depart from her. And Jesus said to her, woman, where are thine accusers? And she said, there are none. He says, neither do I accuse thee. But what? What does he say to her? Go and sin no more. He doesn't say to her, neither do I accuse thee, have a great afternoon, see you next Sunday. He doesn't accuse her, he doesn't say, neither do I accuse you, sign the membership card. He says, neither do I accuse you, go and sin no more. He says to her, leave behind that lifestyle that you had at one time, I got something better for you. And the church today, and the church across America, what we've done is we want to pat you on the back. We want you to sign the membership card. We want you to feel good about yourself. But we don't want to leave behind the old way of living. My friends, Jesus came to set the captive free. Whenever he came and he delivered people, when he cast the demons out of them, he cast all of the demons out of them. He didn't just cast out one or two. And the salvation that Jesus is able to bring, the work of the cross is more than enough. It's more than adequate to deliver you and I, not only for the salvation of our souls, but for our daily walk. He's able to cause us to walk in victory. He's able to bring about victory in your day-to-day life. Not just in the fact that, oh, I'm sorry, you're sorry, and I go back doing the same old thing. He's able to bring about a deliverance and a healing and a freedom in your life so that those things that held you captive no longer hold you captive. So that you don't walk around in chains and bondage any longer. He's able to set the captive free. Now that may not be your experience. And if that's not your experience, that's not because the power of God is not available to you. If that's not been your experience, it's not because the gospel is not adequate to set you free. That's oftentimes, that's because you and I have chosen to hold on to this world as opposed to letting go and hold on to Jesus as if he's all that we have. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What is it that's going to motivate us? Friends, before Jesus comes back, there is going to be an onslaught of hell against the church. There is going to be an onslaught of hell. I mean, it's going to be all out. And one of the major things that Satan is going to do is he's going to cause the members of the church, the people in the church, to begin to doubt this word. He's going to cause you to doubt the miracles. He's going to cause you to doubt what God says is true. He's going to cause you to doubt God's standards for you. He calls you to holiness. He calls you to obedience. He calls you to leave behind. He tells you to consider yourself dead to sin but alive to Christ. There's so many in the church today who want to live still as if they are slaves of sin. They want to have their foot in the church and a foot in the world. They want to have partway serving God and partway serving their flesh. And I just want you to know, there comes a time in your relationship with God where He says, I want all of you. 
or you can't have me. He says, I want all of you. Now, friends, God is gracious. You can be out in the midst of your sin and in your rebellion against God, and I promise you that He'll call you. He will seek you out. He will search for you. When you were at your lowest point, the Holy Spirit, when you were embarrassed and ashamed and living in such garbage before God, He was calling after you. He was seeking you. But there's a time whenever He says, Hey, listen, buddy. Hey, listen, daughter. In this relationship, if we're going to go any further, I'm not going to share you with somebody else. I'm not going to share your affections. He's not dysfunctional like that. He says, I'm not going to share your affections. I'm not going to share your love. I want you all for me. I want all of you. Not part way. There's a part in your relationship with him where he says to you, I want all of you. I won't share you with somebody else. I won't share your affections. This relationship will not continue. He'll be gracious. He loves you. He cares for you. In the midst of your sin and your rebellion, he calls you to himself. But then he says, I want you all for me. I will not share you with the world. I will not share your affections. I will not share your desires. You make a choice. I believe that God's calling the church today and he's calling some people in here today to make a choice. To leave behind this double-mindedness and to set your hearts and your affections completely upon him. What is going to keep us in the last days in which we live? What is it that's going to sustain us? What is it that's going to sustain us in the days in which we live? Whenever Satan's coming against the church, what is it that's going to keep you motivated? What is it that's going to keep you on that right path? The word says there's going to be many. It says that the love of most is going to grow cold. What is it that's going to keep you going? I want to speak to you today about eternity, the great motivator. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul's really talking about his ministry that God has called him to. He goes on to say, It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now here's where our focus of the scripture is today in verse 16 and following. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Look to the person next to you and say, I'm not going to lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, because of that, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, 
but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, friends, there have been many who have begun their journey to follow Jesus. There have been many who have inquired about Him and who He is and if His claims are real. But I want you to know that Jesus says that the prize goes to the one who doesn't just start this journey, but the one who finishes. You don't get a prize. You don't win the reward for having a question about who He is. And I know that you have been in church long enough, many of you, you've seen many people who had questions about who Jesus was, who had a desire to know about Him, or maybe directed their attention towards Him for a few moments, but the cares of this life came in and sold the word that was planted in their hearts. And before long, they're back out living the way that they were before. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21 says, that to Him who overcomes, not to the one who starts... Not to the dude who says a prayer. Not to the one who has a good idea. But to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I ever came and sat down with my father on his throne. Concerning your walk with God and the ministry and the service that he has called you to. Friends, let me ask you again. What is it that's going to enable you to press on when others are giving up? When the tide is against you, when the pressures are on, what's going to be able to motivate you to keep going on? What enabled Apostle Paul to continue on in his ministry in spite of hard times, in spite of persecution and disappointments? Where did he derive his motivation and how could he sustain it? And let me ask you today, where are you deriving your motivation to keep pressing on and how are you going to sustain it? Motivation can be defined as the inner drive. It's an impulse or an intention or desire that causes a person to do something or to act in a certain way. Gordon Allport writes that motivation is the go of mental life. Motivation is like the green light that turns on and you know, man, it's time to move. You and I are responsible for our own motivation. It's not somebody else's responsibility to always motivate me in spiritual things. You and I need to be self-starters. If you're going to stand around and wait for somebody to motivate you, you're going to be standing around for a very long time. And you will not accomplish very much. The person who does not have an internal motivation will often find that much of the motivation that comes his way comes in a negative form. The person who doesn't have an internal motivation is going to find that much of the motivation that comes his way, it always comes in a negative form. That's the person whose boss says, listen, if you don't get this done by the deadline, you're going to have three days off of work. If you don't do your paper, you're going to get an F in class. If you don't do this, you're going to be in trouble. If you don't accomplish this, you'll lose your job. Friends, it's pretty tough being around people who don't have any motivation. It's hard enough to make it through life and you have someone else just dragging you down. We are responsible for our own motivation. May I suggest to you that those who lack motivation in this life, concerning spiritual things or their ministry or their relationship with God, that they lack a proper perspective. Why in the last days will people abandon the faith? 
Why will there be a great tribulation? Why will there be a great falling away? Because people lose sight of eternity. The Apostle Paul wrote in verse 17, he said, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Stephen Olford writes, The apostle discovered, as all mature Christians do, that life and service in time, life and service in time only derive their full significance when viewed from the perspective of eternity. It is only from heaven's perspective that we will be able to understand these truths. Did you get that? It says that life and service in this world only derive their full significance. In other words, what I'm doing here and now and the meaning of it will only be able to be truly understood on that side. What I'm doing now, why you keep pressing on. If you need the pat on the back to keep pressing on, I'm going to tell you what, a lot of you are going to quit. If you're doing it because of the rewards that come on this side, you're going to give up. The sacrifices in this life, sometimes it's sacrifices that Jesus calls you to make in this life. To forgive, to let go, to serve, to give, to deny yourself. Do not seem, if you're comparing it in this life, If you're waiting on some kind of motivation that if I do it in this life, here's the reward I get back, you're not going to keep going on. You will not keep going on. But whenever we look at things in light of eternity, it gives us a different perspective. Very quickly, three things. Human weakness in our ministry, in our lives. We're talking about ministry here, but you can say it in your life. Is outmatched by divine strength. Human weakness is outmatched by divine strength. We need a different perspective. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Have you ever had those times that it feels like outwardly you're dying? Have you ever had those times where it feels like emotionally you're spent Have you ever had those times when physically you didn't have much strength left? Have you ever had those times when financially your bank account is running on empty? The results you're hoping for are slow coming. In those times, listen to me, in those times you and I need to renew our spirit day by day. If you're not allowing the Lord to renew you day by day, you'll be overcome. If you're relying upon, hey, I'm feeling really spiritual today, I'm going to tell you what, you're going to be up and down all the time. However, what God's Word calls us to, Paul says, outwardly, I'm wasting away. Physically, he was wasting away. People had turned on him. His energy and his strength from a physical, a spiritually carnal thing, his body, he was getting older. He was in prison as he's writing. It didn't seem like things were expanding, okay, his influence. And yet he says, inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. If you are not, God's calling you as a believer. You and I need to allow God to renew our spirit day by day. You will not make it in this world if you do not do it spiritually. 
If you are not on a daily basis continually going back to God and drawing strength from Him and drawing encouragement from Him and drawing life and power. Why? Because He wants us to be dependent upon Him. He wants us to draw all of our strength not from our own selves but from Him. Listen to what Paul says in reference to speaking about the thorn in his flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness, in our inadequacies. Where we don't have enough, that's where God's power and strength comes through. He says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How is that? How can he be strong when he's weak? Because he's allowing the Spirit of God to renew him day by day. Because he's plugged into the source of power and all wisdom and all authority. He's plugged into him. No lacking. What's going to keep me going? What's going to keep you going when things get hard? The heavenly perspective. Whenever everyone wants to quit. Whenever you say, hey, this temptation is too much. I just want to give in to it. I'm going to tell you what's going to keep you going. The heavenly perspective that says that his strength is more than enough for my weakness. The second thing, very quickly, the present suffering in our ministry is outweighed by future glory. The present suffering is outweighed by future glory. Paul says this, he says, for our light and momentary troubles... What does Paul say about his troubles? They are what? Light and... Is that how you feel about your problems? You know, my, ours are heavy and long term. Can I tell you why? I don't mean to beat you up. Let me tell you why. We've got a short perspective. We've lost our eternal perspective. Paul says... Let's look at this. Because Paul is being renewed day by day, he's able to see from a different perspective. He says, my troubles are light and momentary, and they're achieving for me an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. If you're not being renewed day by day, you'll not be able to see from a heavenly perspective. You can't. It's impossible. Notice how Paul refers to his suffering. He says it's light and momentary. Let me just ask you this. How many of you have been thrown into prison for the sake of the gospel? Just raise your hand. We'll have you stand. How many of you have been shipwrecked on your missionary journeys? Been beaten with rods? Beaten with 39 stripes? Cast into prison? He was stoned? Those things don't sound like light and momentary. But it's only in bringing the sufferings into comparison with the glory that God has in store that those sufferings diminish in significance. You see, whenever you're willing to bring your suffering and your sorrow and your pain and the stresses you're under in comparison with the eternal glory that God has in store for you, when you're willing to do that and compare them to what God has for you, then they start to become light. Then they start to be, wow, we can endure this for a little while. I can do this. Why? Because He has something better in store for me. 
He's got something greater in store for me. If all you see is this world, you will not be able. You and I do not have the power to continue to press on if all we see is from this world. The world is right then. That we're foolish. We're foolish for denying ourselves. We're foolish for obeying the word. If all there is is this world, but friends, that's not all there is. There's another life to come. Paul writes to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 8, 17, and he says this, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings. When you're a co-heir with Christ, what does that mean? It's nice being a co-heir. It's nice being a co-heir because everything that God has, that he has in his kingdom is available for us. We're not only children of God, we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ. All of the glory that he has in store, all of his riches and all of the beauty of heaven, God has in store for us. We're heirs. We have a right to that. If, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And Paul writes this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There's going to be a day, friend, for those of you who press on, who don't quit, give up, who don't quit. Because who wins the prize? He who overcomes. For there's going to be a day when you're going to look back on the sufferings of this life and the trials of this life, and you're going to say, it was nothing in comparison with what God has in store for me. Finally, temporal things in our ministry will be outclassed by eternal things. Verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. And you'll notice that when I read this before, I kept reading it. I messed up a couple times reading it. It's one of those things is, what do we fix our eyes on? We fix our eyes on what we can see. And that's what my eyes are for. My eyes are for looking at things that I can see. The Apostle Paul says, no. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. It's not going to last. It's not going to be here long. Remember in Scripture, whenever Esau... Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. It's like God's judgment upon Esau. God looked upon Esau and he saw that he despised something that was of great value. And unfortunately in the church, there's many today who will sell their birthright for a few moments of pleasure. They will trade the air, their place to get their own way, to satisfy themselves. They exchange those things that are eternal, and they'll say, hey, just give me something that's temporal. And unfortunately, what's happened is this. In the church, there's people who have exchanged those temporal things. God's given them something that's eternal. And they've traded for something that's temporal. It's only here for a short time. It's not going to last Friends, it's easy for the outward problems and the inward pressures to capture our attention and our focus. Some of you may find it hard to sleep at night. You may have a tightness in your chest or tension in your neck or headaches or physical symptoms because of all the pressures that you're under. 
Let me encourage you, we need to get our attention off of the problems and onto the problem solver. The scripture tells us that Abraham was looking for a city with foundations whose builder and maker was God. What is it that's going to keep you motivated to serve the Lord and do His will until He comes? The fact that this life is not it is one of the things that's going to motivate us. God has gone ahead to prepare a place for me and for you that where He is, there you may be also. But as we close, we want to bring this home to you. There's going to be pressures coming your way. If you don't experience the pressures, if you don't experience the trials and the temptations, man, I want to shake your hand because there's something about you. You're fortunate. The vast majority of us, in the days in which we live, there's all kinds of pressures that come against us. There's all kinds of things that try to pull our attention and our focus off of the Lord. And if we're not careful, the reality of it is, the enemy will do that. He will pull our eyes off of Jesus. Remember whenever Peter was walking on the water. As long as he had his eyes fixed on Jesus, he stayed above. But when he took his eyes off of him, what happened? He began to sink. And what happens when you and I take our attention off of the Lord? We begin to lose heart. We begin to lose courage. We begin to sink. As we close today, I want to give you a call. I want to send out a call to you. My challenge to you is this. Can we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts today and to change our perspective? I don't know about you, but there's times in my life whenever I have the wrong perspective. There's times when I get my eyes off of those things that are important. And I begin to think that my weakness, my weaknesses are too weak. I'm just too inadequate. I don't have it. Well, the reality of it is in life, there's times that we don't. But not when Christ is in there. The scripture also, as we looked at it, said, there's times that we think the suffering of today, that it's not worth it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had those times when you say, man, this is costing me too much. Well, I want to say this to you. If all you're looking at is this life, you're probably right. The sufferings and the trials that people go through, if all there is is this life, then you are probably right. God's probably requiring too much of you. However, this is not all that there is. The present sufferings in this life are going to be far outweighed by the future glory that God has in store for us. And the temporal things in this life are going to be outclassed by the eternal things that God has. As we close today, I want to ask you this. Is there anybody here who you would say, I need God. I need Him to kind of redirect my focus today. I need to have a different perspective. And if I'm waiting on myself to do it and motivate myself, chances are that's not going to happen. But I need God to give me an eternal perspective that I see things in light of eternity. Not just here and now. I need God to expand my vision. As we close, I want to pray for you. If that's you today, and you say, I want to see things. I want to see my life. I want to see my parenting. I want to see my ministry. I want to see my job. I want to see my relationship with my marriage. I want to see my service. 
I want to see things through an eternal perspective. I want God just to put that in my heart. If that's you today, I just want you to stand up. I want to pray for you. Just all across this place. If you want God to give you an eternal perspective, we're going to ask him to do that. And as you step up, this is what we're going to believe. We're going to believe that as we pray, that God will begin to open your eyes. And I want to say this to you. Here's your part. Your part is to allow the Holy Spirit to renew you day by day. If you're not going to Him to be renewed day by day, you need to start. You absolutely must start. As we pray today, this is what we're going to ask the Lord just to open up our eyes so that we're not blinded any longer, so that we're not lied to any longer, and so that we're able to have the spiritual motivation to persevere whenever others are quitting, whenever others are giving up, that we press on because God has empowered us. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for this congregation. I thank you for the word of God. It's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I ask, Lord, that this morning that the word of God would pierce our hearts. I pray that it would divide joint and spirit, bone and marrow, Lord. I pray that it would discern the thoughts and the intents of our heart. God, I pray over this congregation that they would not lose heart. Though outwardly they may be wasting away, though outwardly the pressures may be upon them, though emotionally they may be tired and weary, yet inwardly just declare over them, Lord, that you are going to renew them day by day. I pray for a spirit of renewal in their hearts day by day. Lord, I pray that their light and momentary troubles, that you would open up their eyes and let them see them from heaven's perspective. It seems so big now, but Lord, in comparison to what you have for them, it's light and it's momentary. Lord, I thank you that it is achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Lord, for the people who are standing before you this day, we ask that they would be able to fix their eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For your word declares what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. May they, in the name of Jesus, may they be able to discern and see through the eyes of eternity. And Lord, may eternity motivate them. May the glory that you have in store for them motivate them. May the future that you have for them motivate them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Lord, to you be the glory, the honor, and the praise. Let us leave here changed, not only by hearing, but by your word finding a place in our heart and changing our thinking. Change our thoughts, Lord, so that they align with what your word says. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.